0: So what's up? Oh, you want to take us to the park? Backstage
1: tour? No, we well, we heard that you wanted to see us. I did?
0: Yeah, we, we were told to meet the big cheese at the Disneyland Resort. The big cheese? I'm not the big I wish I was the Big Cheese. This is the big cheese.
2: <laughs> is this big sire? Is this This Hades costume is the stinkiest costume on this <laughs>
0: Babies are often very useless when you need to get things done.
2: Take a puff. Do you fear? Bing Bong is a sus individual. I'm going to attempt the Michael Eisner Disneyland Paris uh, opening quote. We'll see how it goes. In French? (laughs) Et maintenant, je declare Euro Disneyland, officialement ouvert. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersocks.
0: (laughs) And I'm Kyle Skinner.
2: And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod. Send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Or support us on Patreon by becoming a member of Jerry's gang at patreon.com slash Mouse Madness, Kyle. I had to intro this episode with the classic Michael Eisner goof. And that's something we didn't really even get to talk about on part one of this most quintessential Michael Eisner move bracket is all of those little things that it's like, oh, that's classic Eisner. He missaid that thing.
0: Yes. The, the most important one or the most famous one in my mind, besides him trying to speak French to a community that didn't want Disney a part of them anyways was that he couldn't remember c3po's name at the opening of star tours and he's on stage and he's trying to like summon over c3po and he cannot spit out what his name is it's just so good if you have not seen the opening day of star tours like special you need to watch it it is the most awkward quintessential michael eisner on camera moment in his in his entire tenure it's the culmination of everything that we want out of michael eisner and we're going to dive a little bit further into that when we talk about him being the face of the company for sure uh but before we do that we of course need to bring in our guest host the in-house mouse madness michael michael davis what's going on man
1: what's up guys i'm back
0: hey do you have dreams of videopolis while we've been gone
1: Yes, definitely needed to look up a couple of videos and just how fun that was. Literally, it looked like a great time and <laughs> probably would have been there along with all the other uh, you know, terrible crowd that terrible uh
0: Terrible crowds. reputation for. Terrible crowds in Videopolis West. Uh, folks that are listening on this Monday, hope uh Jerry's gang had a good time at trivia last night. Uh, we crowned a winner. It was a close battle. It was a really fun one. Uh, we hope everyone had a really good time. We love doing it. Uh, if you're listening and you feel like you left, got left out, well, because you did, because you're not a part of Jerry's gang. So go ahead and, and join us, even if it's for the next trivia, which won't be for a couple of months. We'll let you know when that's coming up. Join us at the $5 level. You'll get to hear all of the greatness that is Mouse Madness bonus episodes, including the episode that just came out, uh, which is that we did a goofy movie commentarium. Uh, Chris and I sat together and watched a Goofy movie together, and we talked about it in real time. We tell you when to start playing the ep- the the movie so you can watch along and listen to us talk about it in real time. It is a good time. Uh, we found out that Chris has a fear of a certain body part of Goofy, uh, <laughs> and if you want to find out what that certain body part is, you got to listen in. It was a lot of fun. Jerry's Gang is a great time, So, uh, and we know Michael's a part of it, so... Michael, thank you for being part of Jerry's gang. We appreciate you. Uh, let's hop, Let's let's start talking about our favorite uh, man with an M that leads the Disney company. His name's not Mickey; it's Michael Eisner. But before we do, we gotta talk about a spoonful of sugar. Chris, what you got this week?
2: So I I gotta I gotta keep the streak alive here. Of course. I had a I had a ten out of ten beer, which yeah. doesn't happen often. I I finished the whole beer. I'm I'm the type of con- so. I'm well I'm the type of consumer where if it's like if I take a sip out of beer and it's like gross I'm like I'm not going to drink it. Like it's a sunk cost. I'm yep. not going to torture myself like this. And I drank the whole beer. It seems like <laughs> like this uh Wild Goose Chase and the Kachina are like my beers of the year, my BOTY right now. Um and but I got myself a, a, another sour beer in this beer hall. Um it's from Big Stump Brewing. In Sacramento, I think I misspoke and said that Hermitage is Sacramento-based, but it is San Jose-based, Oh, uh, so shout out to Hermitage, uh, but Big Stump is from Sac, and I got me a, a peach sour ale, and it's called Peach I Caught, which I don't know if that's a pun that I am missing. Peach I Caught, C-A-U-G-H-T. Is it supposed
0: to be like an apricot and a peach flavored together? P- P- J- it, it
2: doesn't say apricot on here at all. It says, spring is in the air. Classic beers arrive. 400 pounds of peaches and add them to our golden sour mix, sour culture base. The end is an inexplicably delicious something-something beer. Drink life to the fullest. Okay. okay. We're going to give it a shot? oh Uh-oh. Uh, Uh-oh. I don't... Okay, so I taste the peach... But it's not like you ate a peach. It's like you drank the peach water that was in <laughs> canned peaches. <laughs> it's definitely, the it's definitely, water. it's definitely not terrible. But I probably wouldn't get this again. And I have four of them.
0: Oh boy! So, so sunk cost. Uh, is that your your uh, first and only uh, sip?
2: Or are you gonna? Uh, are you gonna- uh, 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 I'll work on it. I'll work on okay. it and see if it we'll grows see. on me. It's definitely not one of those blue mind meld things I got from my Cleveland uh, beer. Uh, we'll, we'll work on it. We'll see what happens. Okay. Uh, Kyle, what do you got?
0: I have, I'm drinking the final 805 from our goofy movie commentary that we had on Jerry's gang. Uh, it's it's just so refreshing. We're getting into the summertime here in California, and this nothing says sunshine and warmth like an 805 because that's what kicked off some of my balcony hangs out on DP with when I lived in Santa Barbara. So I love 805. Happy to have it. Michael, what you got over there?
1: So just like you're finishing off the 805s, I'm finishing off my uh, six-pack of Coastal Love Hazy IPA. Nice. But what I do want to bring up is, Chris, I have had the Kachina beer before. You had Kachina? Yeah. Kachina boys. I used to um, live in Phoenix while going oh, that's to grab right. whatever I going to stay. So um, well-versed in the Phoenix breweries. And yeah, the Kachina was pretty good.
0: Oh, yeah.
2: It, I think I described it as like uh, the type of beer you drink at a game. It's just yes. real smooth and light, but slightly better than like a Miller Lite or like a Bud Light. Yeah, um, it's
0: real good. I was able to have some when I visited Chris out in Walnut Creek. It was my pre-tennis drink chugged a kachina and went out to the courts
1: baby we're
2: just trying to spread the kachina gospel over here on mouse (laughs) madness everyone
1: next time next time you're there though um you need to try this scottish amber ale called kilt lifter
2: (laughs) the consensual kilt lifter i like it (laughs) or hey maybe i'm lifting my own kilt
0: hey which is Uh, an exposure but (laughs) here we are
2: um I will be in Arizona again in July so I will check out the old character. Oh,
1: and uh, fun fact they serve it at Chase Field home of the Arizona Diamondbacks so you know you may not even have to go very far. Wow. True.
2: True that. Just
0: jump out the press box, go enjoy
1: uh, it out in right just, field and get back to work. I just
2: put my credential in my pocket and no <laughs> yeah. one knows the difference. No one
0: will know. Not at all. All right, let's review where we left off last time, including our demographic, which were fans at Angels Stadium during an Angels game. They gave us their most quintessential iconic Michael Eisner moments, and there were a lot of them. So we went ahead and ranked up the top 16, and that got whittled down to a round of Elite Eight. And those eight look like this. It's the number one seed, the Parks Expansions, versus the number eight, the In Park Promos. Down the brackets, number four, the establishment of the Disney stores versus the number five, the establishment of the Disney vault. Across the brackets, the number 15, I'm going to Disney World campaign versus the number seven, direct to video sequels and rounding out the lead the Number three, the additional thrill rides that were added to the parks versus the number 11, Michael just being the face of the company. Uh, Chris, you started off last time. I think I'll hop in and start off with the number one parks expansion versus the number eight in park promos. I talked about the cake castle. I talked about Mickey's birthday land. I talked about the stitch teepee castle, but we haven't really focused a ton on this like idea of expanding the parks, both as a concept of parks showing up in new places, but also the expansion of of the parks that were established. I think that was all very important to Michael Eisner and was the anchor to his idea of the Disney decade something that you touched upon last episode where Michael came in and said the 1990s are going to be about Disney we are going we're declaring the 1990s the Disney decade and we're going to start by expanding the brand with the most accessible well not really accessible but with the most no know, well known and and best thriving entity that we have which are our parks Animation. I don't care about them. Live action. I like it. I'll put some money into it. But my real creative focus is on these parks and we're going to expand them. So in his time, he shows up and announces the Disney decade and he goes on to help to open or start kickoff development for seven Disney parks across the world. That is bonkers. Seven. You have uh. Disney Hollywood Studios, at the time, Disney MGM Studios, you have DCA, you have Tokyo Disney Sea, you have Animal Kingdom, you have Euro Disneyland, you have Hong Kong Disneyland, and then you have some failed pitches in Disney's America, which is a topic that I would love to dive into at another time, and Port Disney. And including Port Disney was like this Westcott idea uh, bringing Epcot to the West Coast where DCA is now. So he was very parks focused And when it comes to the parks that already exist, my man loved himself some hotels, baby. He had planned seven additional hotels at Walt Disney World. He was seven. (laughs) And not all of them came to be. Uh, Boardwalk Fort Wilderness did happen, but there was quite a few that did not make it through. And he took that energy and instead said, we're going to make all of these hotels at and all these hotel rooms at Euro Disneyland. And we all know how that worked out for him. Too many rooms, not enough people. So he was very much like expand, expand, expand. And oftentimes it came with a lot of troubles on the budget side. We all know that Euro Disneyland is Michael's folly. It's his big failure for the company. It was an idea that he kind of forced onto Paris the Parisian community didn't really want Disney in Paris. Uh, Disney, the creative team at Disney, the Imagineers, didn't really want to be in Paris because they were competing with a tourism market that was the authentic experience that Disney emulates. Castles, fairy tales, like that, all of that kind of lore exists in these European cities. And now here we are, we're going to have to cre- recreate that. But make it seem not cheap, so they were able to do so by making it a little bit more American focused, making the castle more fairy tale as opposed to regal. But Eisner would cut budgets, and you see that across the board into where it became a, a smaller Disneyland park with a planned next door park, and when that next door park, uh, Disney Disney Walt Disney Studios park started being built it opened with like nothing <laughs> because they didn't have the money for anything so we know that euro disneyland is the big linchpin point of really the decline of mike Eisner. like this is where people start questioning his decision making his authority he's very paranoid about people coming for his job he starts firing people like jerry jeremy jeffrey katzenberg he's just a paranoid human being after his failure at euro disneyland But one of them that we don't talk a ton about is the troubles with Hong Kong Disneyland and how that is the essence of budget cutting in a park. He essentially just recreates Disneyland because he was afraid that the community in Hong Kong would react very similar to that in Paris, which is such a 90s assumption to just be like, well, if it's not American, they all react the same. Like, no, Hong Kong was stoked to have Disney because they were in a recession. They believed that Disneyland and Hong Kong would bring back jobs and tourism and, and revitalize their economy. Uh, and so they greenlit it. And he was able to get tax money to make this thing happen. We talked about it with building the pond in Anaheim. These things don't happen these days. You can't say, I'm going to build a Disney theme park and everyone that lives in that city is going to pay for it. And they were able to do it with Hong Kong, but throughout its creation, it was just hit with all of these Eisnerisms. Uh, at one point, Eisner was also planning Shanghai, which originally was supposed to be Beijing, and Hong Kong was like, "Listen, if you build a park in mainland China, that gives no one a reason to come to Hong Kong. You're cannibalizing." what we need and Eisner's like no no that's that's not happening and then suddenly it came out that yes it is in the plans and Eisner said yeah but that's not going to be for a few years so Hong Kong's like what is what is happening why why can't you just tell us the truth why are you trying to save face and it's this kind of Eisner knee jerking around trying to make something happen that maybe people don't want to especially in the parks Uh, There was a moment in which they found bombs underneath the bay from World War II as they were dredging the the area, the land around it to start building. They found bombs, like something that you think you would want to consider before buying is what could be below the surface there. Luckily, none of them went off. Uh, And then there was a ton of other bad press once the park became closer to opening, including the fact that Disney decided to allow them to sell shark fin soup uh which is not something that a lot of people love to hear, even if it's a delicacy, uh Disney's an American company. And so there was a lot of negative press around that, as well as them being uh allegedly killing stray dogs on property as they were building these parks. Like it was so much of the like Eisner, here's a big flashy idea, but I don't really understand the consequences of this big flashy idea. And I'm not gonna worry about it because I'm the hero here. I'm the one that came up with the idea. Others can take the fall. That just really resonates with that quintessential Eisner idea uh, and, and the way that he kind of ruled. So when, when he starts this Disney domination, he, the, he says that over the next 10 years, we're going to do nothing less than reinvent the Disney theme park and resort experience. Not just here in Florida but in all of our parks and resorts. And by the year 2000, we expect to host over 100 million guests each year in Disney-themed parks and resorts around the world. I don't think that they got to the 100 million guests every year. Uh, Maybe, I guess what he's saying is like across the world, then yes, absolutely. But you do have parks that were a little bit ambitious with Paris and Hong Kong that maybe didn't allow him to make that. at home, he opens Mickey's Toontown. He allows Magic Kingdom's Tomorrowland to get remodeled. He goes ahead and, and gives Breck what he wants and puts two Splash Mountains in America. Uh, he brings in Captain EO and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for this kind of 4D experience in his parks to get people there. He goes budget Eisner, and when he starts building new lands, including in Disneyland... The bet, the easiest way to theme a land is to theme it after Hollywood. So you have Sunset Boulevard and MGM and you have what is now Buena Vista Street, but it was like Hollywood Studios backlot in DCA because you, that's all, all of it can look fake. You can make studio buildings, paint studio on it, and there's your, your theme, right? So all of this is to say that Eisner did what he came out to do. He established Disney World domination. He upset a lot of people along the way. He didn't really anticipate the consequences of his actions. He wanted Flash without budget, and he did it over and over and over again, whether it met expectations like something like Disneyland Tokyo or Disney, Tokyo Disney Sea, maybe even Animal Kingdom, which might be a little bit of a stretch. But then he also failed hard with stuff like Euro Disneyland, Hong Kong Disneyland, DCA. It's just such an Eisner move. So in this matchup, I think that I have to stick with the Disney Parks expansions because that idea of world domination and getting the brand places where it hadn't been before is very Michael Eisner. And a lot of these things do that on that's left on this bracket. But this was done in such a way that Eisner didn't have the expertise and went ahead and did it anyways. That makes it very much him. And if he didn't have the expertise, he forced people to do it. And when they failed, he tried to pass the buck and ultimately would just start firing people. (laughs) It's very much a Michael Eisner move. Uh, So I'm going to go with the one seed here. It's very strong for me.
2: You know who Michael Eisner is? (laughs) Michael, Michael Eisner is that friend you haven't talked to since high school who DMs you and is like, bro. I have the most insane business opportunity for you that I feel like you would be really good at. Or they try to get you involved in some type of like pyramid scheme, or yes. uh, maybe he's the guy that goes on Shark Tank. Is, is like, all right, for a one million dollar investment, you get point one percent of my company, and you yep. are like, mm, I feel like your numbers are off on that, Michael Eisner. Yeah,
0: I think the uh, the uh, pyramid scheme is a perfect analogy for that because he would just bring in his friends and then fire them. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah. I mean, I had some, some great friends uh, proposed to, to me to join the hexagon uh, pyramid scheme during the oh, pandemic, which man. was my least favorite one. I mean, it works for some people. Like if your network's big enough, shoot, go for it. Yeah. Um, but uh, my 200 followers on Instagram are not going to get me, <laughs> the $1,600 that you're telling me it's going to get me. Um, okay. So yeah, I love that you bring up those failed experiments because that is a big part of the Eisner, the way I see Eisner, you know, that, mm. that, uh, Disney's America, Westcott, yeah. Port Disney. I think those are all really great things. um, so I'm also advancing on the number one seed. I do want to say that I looked up some photos of Mickey's birthday land uh, this past week. Yeah. Uh, incredible. Yeah, they straight, right? up, they straight up look like sets that we built in high school theater. And actually, uh, Jerry's gang knows uh, I'm heading down to Walt Disney World this summer um, I currently have a magic band, but it's like a it's like a Murica themed uh magic band because I used to be a real big like Murica guy and I'm <laughs> not so much am anymore. So i I've been in the market for like a new magic band and I typed in um Mickey's Birthdayland like into Google and one of the top hits was a Mickey's Birthday Land magic band, like an official One. So it's like $53 right now resale. So I don't know if I'm going to buy that, but I thought it was pretty cool that they are making merch for this failed Eisner project. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Parks expansions to the final four. Michael D. Do you agree?
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree on that one. I think I I saw this one as a clear winner in the spot. (laughs)
2: All right. Next matchup is number four, Disney stores versus number five, The Disney Vault. So we've got kind of a a similar matchup in a way. You have two things that consumers can interact with Mm -hmm. at home. You know, uh, your your local mall, you can head down, check out the Disney store at the mall, you know, get that Disney in your nostrils. You can smell the Disney. You can can taste the Disney. Uh, Just be totally surrounded by it. Um, and I think that's uh, really cool. Disney Vault, you've got videos coming to your doorstep. You've got videos, you can pick them up at Circuit City or wherever you buy home videos. And uh, you can take it home with you. You get a little slice of Disney in your living room. Uh, so in a lot of ways, these are these are two very similar sort of projects. Uh, but the reason I didn't advance the Disney Vault on the last episode was that I felt that Disney Vault was kind of too timid of a marketing strategy for Mm. me to associate it with Michael Eisner. Uh, I I would associate something much more radical if I were to think of Michael Eisner. It's like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. When a movie comes out, um, it's gonna release to theaters, and then the next thing we're gonna do is we're gonna project it on the Empire state building um and it's gonna play there so that the entire city of New York can watch it and we're gonna broadcast the audio on on a m radio and so everyone's gonna and then that'll be like the way that we get it out there uh on home video just something weird like that, you know mm, yeah uh and so this idea that like we're gonna put it out on v h s for a short amount of time and then walk it back, i think is a little bit not aggressive enough to be super quintessential Eisner for me. Um, The Disney stores seems sort of like a a long thing coming. Um, It's something I would definitely not call sort of a radical idea of of Eisner's. It's definitely, we did a whole Patreon episode on like the history of of Disney merch and Disney marketing and the ways that Disney merch evolved over the years. And so um, the fact that Disney stores only began in the late eighties, early nineties. It's, it's kind of like they're, they're behind the curve on that. You know, where, where were they this whole time? So yeah, I'm sure mall culture was kind of a newer thing for the eighties, but, um, you would think that this, this would have been a thing uh, maybe before Michael Eisner's tenure. Uh, at the end of the day, I do think I am going to keep rolling with the Disney store. um, that, that 90s feel that still exists in so many Disney stores, uh, I think, is, is totally Michael Eisner. And I actually am very happy that so much of it remains. Um, even in those flagship locations, the New York City, the San Francisco, the Disney Springs, the Downtown Disney, you still get kind of that, that Disney quirk in those re- retail spaces. And I really hope those don't go away anytime soon.
0: Right. Yeah. I struggle with understanding or believing if Michael was really the idea man behind either of these. He Hmm. definitely wasn't the idea man behind the Disney vault because he basically forced the board to let them do it after Ron Miller had suggested that they did uh it also but that also feels very him like taking an idea and just pushing it forward without thinking about how they're going to actually do it uh and as well as him not liking animation so much that he instead of being like we're going to create vh at, like straight to video productions uh which they later do with the sequels but to get into this new f- form of technology Instead, we're just going to re-release the things that we already own. Also feels very much like him. Now, that wasn't his idea. That's Ron's. Ron wanted them to re-release these classics. And so he just kind of was the the, the beef to make that happen. He was the, the, the muscle to get that through. And then same with the store. But the Disney store, obviously, he wasn't on the ground being like, we're going to open them up here, here, and here. He brought over the biz dev dude to handle that, but his idea sparked it. He, he realized that they only owned one store outside of their parks and it was at the Orlando airport and that was operated by Walt Disney world, not even by the Disney company itself. And so he saw the opportunity and put the right person there, uh, and I would love to know, and I wish I had did a little bit more research, if that person ended up not working for the company anymore, because that would be very quintessential Mike Eisner if he like let this dude get it off the ground and then immediately fired him once he got too powerful or was too successful, like his other folks. Um, I think that I think that I'm gonna have to agree with you, uh, and and move the store along. And I think that the vault was a concept that I, I don't believe would have come out of his mind. I don't think that he was into exclusivity and the vault is very exclusive. I think that he was trying to bring in more people uh, into the Disney brand. Uh, he was creating demand for his product for sure, but I, don't, I think that his thing was more so like we got to get this brand into as many hands as possible and to release VHS and then lock it back up doesn't seem like something that he would want to do. It's a, definitely a gimmick that would be in his mind, but I don't think it would be a, as long lasting of a tradition uh, for him. So in that way, I'm, I'm going to agree with you that the story would move on. Um, Michael, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, uh, I, definitely, I definitely agree in the aspect mm-hmm. of when it comes to most quintessential Eisner move. I mean, we're kind of full of heavy hitters at this point. So I think all of these are going to have a really good case of moving on. And the Disney World did, but when it came down to it, I I definitely agree that like the exclusivity is not, it didn't really seem like something that he was about. He kind of wanted as much brand exposure as possible. So, yeah, I I definitely think the stores kind of seem like the right move here.
0: All right. Let's move on to this next Elite Eight matchups. Number 15, I'm going Disney World campaign versus the number seven direct-to-video sequels. Uh, we were able to learn story, story, uh, or at least the story that's being told about I'm going to Disney World, which is that his wife came up with it over dinner with the first people to fly around the world without stopping. Uh, and then we talked about the sequels, direct-to-video sequels and the history behind that and why that came to be. And... I think that story is why this video sequels is going to happen, is that it's so Eisner to bring people in to these like gong show type meetings where people pitch things and then he just goes ahead and green lights them. And then he has to later on decide that "Mm, I don't like that idea as much, so we're going to give you less money. And oh, not only are we going to give you less money, but it's going to go straight to video because the rescuers down under flopped and now I'm afraid of it. Uh, So a failure influencing another move feels very Eisner. Uh, And the fact that he created another company to be separate from or another division to be separate from the animation studio so that it wouldn't tarnish what he didn't build. What Jeffrey Katzenberg (laughs) built uh, also feels very him like forever dividing the animation department gets there he moves them off the lot they're often in in little cubicles where he doesn't have to worry about them uh they get successful okay you can come back in but disney tune studios no you're probably gonna go live out in walt disney world and we're gonna see you later uh enjoy working on lilo and stitch and return of jafar at the same time we'll see which one i like better and that will make it into theaters It, it just feels like it like an eisner thing of uh yeah, gong. Alright, that's going on VHS. So I'ma go with the direct-to-video sequels here. It's just so funny that <laughs> that this would be something that Disney would continue to execute on throughout the 90s and even into today where we see a lot of these direct-to-streaming or direct-to-dvd, you know, tinkerbells, fairies and, and all that stuff. It it lives on.
2: We've seen some athletes say some pretty off-the-wall things post-game, yeah. especially post-game, a big win. Yeah. The one that stands out the most to me, of course, Richard Sherman, L.O.B. <laughs> um, when he absolutely went off to Aaron Andrews um, after there, I want to say it was like conference championship win or something like that. Um, and, and so like I just think about what an athlete would actually say if um. someone came up to them after a game and was like you just won the world series what are you going to do next and they they weren't told to say i'm going to disney world they'd yeah. be like i'm going to take a sh-. yeah <laughs> i'm going to go get fucked up yeah i'm going to go to a beach for a very long time yep i mean uh. Kyle what would you what would you say like Okay. I mean, even if you're not a pro athlete, like just in general, if you just did some major accomplishment and someone came over and was like, what are you going to do next?
0: I would, I would straight up be like, I have no, what kind of question is that? <laughs> I have no idea what I'm going to do next. I'm going to go home, home and shower and maybe. Eat yeah, some food. <laughs> go sit. I'm kind of hungry. It's dinner time. Like I, I, ha- I would have no idea.
2: <laughs> they would have to feed me that. Michael, what would you do next?
1: I don't know. I feel like I'd be the smart ass to say, I'm going to Disney world.
2: (laughs) You'd you'd ironically say it.
1: Yes. I'd ironically say
0: it. (laughs) I'm going to pleasure Island. I'm going to videopolis.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'd have to be, I'd have to say, I'm going, I'm going to take a bath and go put some Epsom salt in a tub, light a candle (laughs) and, uh, do some deep breathing exercises with my Apple watch. (laughs) <laughs> hope, practice some good uh, nighttime hygiene and hopefully sleep tight tonight. Yeah, um, I'm going to
0: get an early sleep tonight because I got an early morning tomorrow, actually. I got a dentist appointment, so I should probably be in bed pretty soon here.
2: i gonna be honest with you. I don't know how many direct-to-video sequels I've actually ever seen. No, um, I, Maybe just I, that Beauty and the Beast one. I th- and I, that was, like, fairly recently.
0: I saw uh Lion King one and a half is that is that, is that a
2: sequel or is that a is a half count as a sequel
0: yeah, it comes after the first so. okay It's like a prequel sequel
2: <laughs> It's a pre sequel uh,
0: <laughs> It's the film itself
2: <laughs> <laughs> Animation has become cheaper as technology has advanced in the field of specifically computer animation. Uh you see studios like Illumination who produce movies like The Minions yeah. able to able to create movies uh at at a pace much faster than Pixar, much faster than Disney Animation, Secret Life of Pets, another one, uh sing yep. all Illumination movies. Um I believe it is a subsidiary of Comcast Universal. Yeah. Um so this idea that Eisner cut cost to make projects cheaper and go faster. I, it feels like had Eisner not intervened, it still would have been a very natural progression in the field of animation. Mm. Um, And the idea that they might do sequels to some of these Disney hits. I mean, here we are in the age of nostalgia. I, it would have happened sooner or later. Yeah. I look at an idea like, let's stick a camera in an athlete's face after a big moment and get them to say something very specific for our marketing purposes. That is the type of insane specific idea that only Mm. Michael Eisner could conceive Um, and make it so incredibly important that it just baffles to, to kind of think about how and why this became a thing and how and why is it still a thing today? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just such a weird idea that I think it is very huh. quintessential, Michael Eisner. Um, so I'm going with the 15 seed to the final four. Michael D, you're breaking this tie.
1: Wow, this is a this is a tough one. Um, I was actually going to ask, what is y'all's favorite like direct-to-video Disney sequel? Oh, don't <laughs> like, don't, don't have one. People, like, I don't know if I've seen one. <laughs> Y'all haven't seen an Extremely Goofy movie? Oh, my gosh. Actually, oh my <laughs> Chris saw that before a Goofy movie. So
2: I do. I do see an Extremely Goofy movie. You're right. I liked it. I liked it better than Beauty and the Beast, Enchanted Bells Christmas with Tim Same. Curry. Same. So I do love me some X-Sports, okay. some X-Games.
1: Keep rattle them off. Let's see what we got. I don't, I don't know if this is Eisner era, but uh, Kronk's New Groove. Never saw it. No. That's a good one. Should put that on the list. There, there's literally a bracket. There is a yep. bracket worth. Uh, there
2: yeah. might there just there just might be. There just breath. might be a bracket. I'll
1: hold your breath. And but I mean I know the, the reputation that these get is almost comical. I mean if you're like kind of an animation nerd, you just basically dog on all of these videos like return of Jafar is known as one of the worst animated movies ever right um mm-hmm. Mulan 2 Tarzan 2 Brother Bear 2, Cinderella. Brother Bear 2 Brother
0: Bear didn't need a sequel all
1: right no one saw the first one exactly. Brother,
2: Bear, Brother Bear 2 Sister Bear <laughs>
1: <laughs> Atlantis, Milo's return. Oh God, Neverland. No. no, I mean the Jungle Book
0: Two. Leroy oh, and and the, the Jungle Book Two. I haven't seen, but I've listened
1: to the soundtrack, and that thing slaps. Ooh, slaps. Oh, I mean, there's just there's just so many. Oh, this is this is tough because being a sports fan and growing up in sports, it's. You know, I'm. I'm gonna bring the phrase out. It's iconic.
0: Oh, let me get my beer.
1: As much as the the sequels really get my love, we're going to Disney World. Is moving on. We're
2: going to Disney World, baby. Let's go. Um. All right. Who will join these three in the final four? These three quintessential Eisner moves. We're down to the number three seed. The addition of thrilling rides and attractions. Versus number eleven. Being the face of the Disney company, um, let's talk about thrilling attractions a little bit. Um, again, according to uh the Michael Eisner lore, he had his teenage son Breck, B-R-E-C-K, Be come with hunt. him to the parks. <laughs> do a do a little uh tour of the parks when Eisner first became CEO and Breck was like Yo, dad, there's nothing for me to do here. This is all kid stuff. And so Mike was like, hey, we have to create some stuff for people that are Brett's age um, to get them in the door and keep them there as well. So um, he came up with some some concepts uh, to make the park a little bit more extreme, a little bit more thrilling feel, a little bit more adulty. Obviously, we did a long, long conversation on Videopolis uh, last episode. Um, I hope you all got to hear that. I mean, that's just one of them, <laughs> but um, we're talking about the attractions themselves, um, specifically adding a few more of those e-ticket type thrills um, and just ones that that get the blood pumping just a little bit. So, some of those, obviously, the big one for me is Indiana Jones. Um, he took that partnership with George Lucas and they imagineered one of the greatest attractions that has ever graced this planet. Um, unfortunately, it has not been aging extremely well and is sort of a shadow of itself these days. But yeah. um, Peak Indy was just an experience unlike any other. You've also got things like Splash Mountain at the very beginning of Michael Eisner's tenure. He did the thing where he repurposed some garbage. And he took those animatronics from America Sings, and he created the thrilling attraction that we know today. Recycled an an old racist cartoon also. (laughs) Um, But the original idea was the Tom Hanks Mermaid movie. That's why it's called Splash Mountain.
0: Right. Uh, It has nothing to do with Song of the South.
2: Okay, 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 okay. We have an opportunity to jinx not a second, but a third no-hitter in one night. Uh, we've got another one: uh, the Angels against the Rays. I don't know who it is, but
1: what? The Reedetmers?
2: I don't know. Um, you've also got a uh, uh, extraterrestrial alien encounter. Uh, yes, which is which is the Florida one that just so many uh, videos get made on this weird attraction that was basically a show more than a ride. That you just everyone goes into a dark room and there's just weird flashing lights and loud sounds and jump scares, and it's supposed to be absolutely terrifying um and it probably was, but more than anything to me, it just looks super boring and like intentionally <laughs> anxiety inducing like they they bring these restraints over your shoulders that like you literally do not need because you're just sitting in a chair i don't I don't really understand it, <laughs> but um. There's that one, of course we have to talk about rocket rods.
0: Yeah, you have to.
2: Which is another Michael Eisner creation that I have the extreme privilege of writing myself.
0: You're one of few. One of few.
2: I'm one of few. There is there is video somewhere. We just we it's like one of those you, lost Bauer Sox home video tapes. Uh, um, we gotta send you I, home. I, I don't know where it went. I sp- distinctly remember like watching it through the camera. We might've recorded over it. I don't know. Oh, but um, if you don't know what rocket rods is that people mover track above tomorrow land at Disneyland, they once had a high speed accelerating ride that had these little cars went and they went super fast, but had to slow down a lot to go around the curves and then go fast again and then slow down again. And it yep. was just a, a technological nightmare. <laughs> but uh yeah we waited like several hours for it and we actually got in the line and went through what is now Buzz Lightyear Astro Blasters back then it was still the Circle Vision 360 that right. was just completely gutted and there was a bunch of like concept like Rocket Rods concept art uh sort of in the in the space in like a big empty room and the Rocket Rods would like go through the building there was like a window that looked out into it, so it's still there behind some piece of plywood at Buzz Lightyear Astro Blaster. <laughs> uh, but then, then we like went downstairs, and then we went like underneath Tomorrowland, and then like came up by like where the big um, Astro Orbiter thing is now, and right. then up the up the there was like a staircase, and then we got we boarded the ride where the Radio Disney place used to be. I don't know. It was yeah yeah yeah. And I remember it being really boring, and it was not as fun as I thought it was going to be.
0: I think everyone felt that way, and they got rid of it because it yeah. didn't break and people yeah. didn't like it.
2: Uh, you've also got the Tower of Terror, Kyle. You mentioned that one briefly. Um, you've got rock and roller coaster. The partnership with Aerosmith make things a little rock and roll. Yeah. Am I missing any? Am I missing any uh, major Eisner e tickets in the U.S. parks? Uh, of course, like, I, you know, California Adventure itself, you've got uh, the California yes. Screaming and the Mala Boomer, and the the Ferris wheel can't just be a Ferris wheel. It's got the swinging cars on it.
0: Yeah. And I guess just like now we start getting to the replica stuff. So like Space Mountain in Paris has the loop in it and oh, yeah, uh, you yeah. have Big Thunder moving from the East Coast to the West Coast.
2: And And star tours as well, a very kind of thrilling of attraction um simulator tech was was very new at the time, so I mean, it's interesting because you know you you approach this conversation of like Michael Eisner's trying to make things extreme, and it sounds like in a like a corny like corny, but you look at that roster of rides and you go, these are like." These are like heavy hitters here on the attractions list. These are yes. e-ticket type attractions. These are attractions yeah. that, when I was six, seven, eight, up until sixteen years old, they, these are the rides that got me into the park. Like this, exactly, this yeah. plan, this plan worked. I mean, we, when I was a little kid, we were a Magic Mountain family. I I wanted to ride the tall roller coasters. You know, uh-huh. I wanted to, I wanted to feel like a big kid get get me a big kids meal at mcdonald's
0: <laughs> that came with a mickey toy and cusco by your fries
2: and and like i don't know if that's like a generational thing where like maybe when our huh. parents were kids there was that peter pan attitude of like i don't wanna grow up like i want to be a kid forever whereas like in the 90s it was like i want to be a grown up like i want to be a big kid it's
0: that extreme
2: i want to ride i want to be 54 inches so i can ride <laughs> viper <laughs> I want to be 54 inches so I can ride Batman at Magic Mountain. And so we uh-huh. transitioned to being a Disney family when my sister was born because you had stuff that she could do when she's a little one, two, three years old. And there was plenty of thrill rides for me and my bro to do. Right. Do some indie, do some Star Tours. Everyone was happy. So, like, success. I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is the groundwork for the uh, powerhouse of an amusement park that Disneyland is to this day. Uh, going up against Michael Eisner being the face of the company, and I mentioned this on the last episode, Dis- Michael Eisner was trying to channel his inner Walt Disney when he was CEO of the company. Right. Doing specials, being going out there and doing these press conferences and appearing at these events and making sure that everyone knew that he was the guy that was in charge of the company. And in a way, it did make the company feel a little bit more personal, but at the same time, it made him feel like kind of an egomaniac. <laughs>
0: Because <laughs> he was, yeah, exactly. because
2: he definitely was. And in retrospect, when you see how everything went down with him, it just makes it look even worse as time has progressed.
0: Yeah, totally.
2: Uh, we at the beginning of this episode, I didn't mean to jump the gun, but we talked about some of his gaffes as the uh, the leader of the company, and he was on so many specials. He's he was likely to have some some sort of slip up um, in his speech. There's gotta be a there's gotta be a Michael Eisner gaffs TikTok account by now, right? Maybe oh, we should start there one. There has
0: to be. There, yeah, if they haven't, we'll we'll do it. So.
2: Um. Yeah, and like, it's it's really difficult because these are two really important things that I think about when I think of Michael Eisner as the CEO of the Disney Company. He was the face of the company, and he ushered in this new extreme era of of Disney and of Disney parks. So this one's right. a really tough one for me. Um, I, I'm definitely not going to punt to you. I am going to make a decision. And that decision is going to be it's the addition of the thrill rides. Huh. Yeah. Um, I think I've said this before. Like Michael Eisner gets a lot of negative comments about his tenure as CEO and and how he, he had a lot of bad ideas and messed things up a lot, but for every mess up it seems like he has some extreme success um, yeah. and and one and one of those things to me is 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 the thrill rides in the parks it was the disney decade and this is something that he absolutely nailed so i'll give him i'll give credit where credits due here and i'll advance the thrill rides
0: i think that there's a little bit of both of that in him being the face of basically everything as well there's the gaffes like the star tours opening the the disneyland paris opening just literally any moment that he has to talk live uh but then there's also some huge successes he becomes the he humanizes the brand he kind of revives disney and disney channel and disney on abc to be more family-centric he is able to garner excitement around a lot of the Newcomings of the disney company uh, without it being like mickey on the screen which i think that he was trying to avoid because he was trying to appeal to maybe a bit of an older demographic and if they see like a, an actual adult then they feel like they're being marketed to a little bit better than if like mickey is telling you to come to disney california adventure right and so there's there's a lot behind him being the face and i've been uh listening to the audiobook disney war uh which talks about disney during the era of eisner and how toxic and awful it was and and just the bonkers things that would happen which ha- is a lot of the basis of my notes in here because it's a like a 25 hour audiobook and i've gotten about 12 hours in and those 12 hours are really crucial to all of the things that we're talking about. Highly recommend listening to it. It sounds like it's a really long read, and I don't know that I would be able to stay in Disney Eisnerland for that long, but it's great to have on in the background if you have any audiobook apps. But one of the stories that they told was when they were trying to revive the wonderful world of Disney and have the CEO be in front of the ABC audience just like Walt did. At uh, this time, they're going to introduce park specials. They're going to introduce movies that you can watch. Uh, originally, they wanted Roy to do it, the son of Roy O, Roy E. And Roy didn't really want to because he was like, I'm not Disney. We need a youthful presence as it. So they sent out like a casting call. They essentially like went to their favorite actors of the time and tried to get them in. But the thing was, Eisner was only going to have it be Roy or it was going to be him. And the board was like, we want to explore other options, but you can have final say, but we want to have other options. So they reached out to folks like Tom Hanks to come and do it, which ironically, he becomes Walt Disney later on in Saving Mr. Banks. But Eisner shot down every single actor that they suggested uh, until it was literally just him that the board was like, "Okay, do you want to do it? And he's like, yeah. And the first day that they shot it, he was so bad on camera, not remembering his lines, delivering them very awkwardly, that Disney had to hire him an acting coach to kind of teach him how to speak on camera. Like, this is Eisner. This is him being overly ambitious into an endeavor and then having to backtrack and like spend either more money or cut corners in order to make something happen. In this case, they're spending more money on something that should be turnkey. Like he's, they're already paying him. Now they got to pay a, a acting coach to do it as well. But my favorite thing is like, there couldn't be an introduction on TV or really anything. Magazines, anytime Disney was talked about, Michael Eisner was on the front of the cover. It was always through the lens of Michael Eisner. But these park specials, and specifically the one that I have this like weird obsession with, not weird. It's it's weird, but it's very on brand for me, is the DCA opening day special uh, where Barry Bostwick and Richard Kind come to DCA and they are being asked to go meet with Michael Eisner. That's the that's the premise. They get to Eisner and Eisner's like, I'm not the big cheese. The big cheese is Mickey. And Mickey is like, welcome to our park or whatever, whatever that how that gets resolved. But the fact that, like, the whole premise was them thinking they're meeting with Michael Eisner to celebrate the opening of a brand new park in Anaheim, the place where the original park was made, is so Michael Eisner. And it's because of these things that I think the C number 11 should move on. I think wow. that this Michael centric. Company, him being the face, him being afraid, him him wanting to have the recognition for everything, is quintessential him. I think the thrill seeking stuff is definitely Michael Eisner. I think that it's him taking suggestions from his son is very Michael Eisner. But I think it was also the industry of the time to get a little bit more thrilling. Uh, you have the extreme sports arm of ESPN pop up. You have extremely goofy movie happened in the early 2000s right so the movement was happening he hopped on board uh while him being the face of the company is not something that a ton of CEOs were doing at the time and now that's that's what happens right so i'm going to go with 11c which means michael you're breaking a type
1: oh this is tough this is really tough um again heavy hitters heavy heavy hitters um i don't know thrill seeking Thrill seeking movement, Splash Mountain, Big Thunder Mountain, Indiana Jones, Rock and Roller Coaster, Tower of Terror. I don't know the way Chris described Rocket Rods. It just sounds like an F one race on the People Mover. <laughs> um, extra ter- the extraterrestrial that was terrifying. Um, I don't have vivid memories of it, but I believe I went on it. And it's Hmm. turned into Stitch's Great Escape. Which is also gone, right? Yeah, which is also now gone. (laughs) But uh, everybody that reviews that ride says it was like creepy beyond all Disney memes. That it was just unnecessarily creepy for Disney.
0: Hmm. I don't believe them.
1: But I'm going to go with Thrill Seeking Movement because I essentially grew up through a Bob Iger, like, through the Bob Iger era. And I feel like when it came to face of the company, I feel like he was very similar in that type of arena when it came to being the CEO of Disney. I feel like he was always at everything, everything Disney. If it was, like, anything to do with the parks, anything to do with, like, movie releases... I mean Iger was a part of it Iger was speaking at it Iger was just better at it than Eisner was when it came to like that type of thing when it came to speaking to audiences when it came to having to be on camera when it came to you know presenting to the board (laughs) I mean uh he has his book obviously if y'all haven't read his book it's amazing um so, I I don't know. When it comes to wanting to be and trying to be the face of the company, I, to me, Bob Iger kind of becomes a clearer image than Michael Eisner. I know Michael Eisner wanted it, like, more than anybody ever. But I also am so enthralled in the parks myself. So, this is this is such a biased pick. No it's doubt. So what we're all about here. So, and I mean, some of my favorite rides are on that list. Splash Mountain and Tower of Terror. So, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Moving on. A, uh, a detail
0: that I just remembered about Eisner being the face and during that wonderful world of Disney saga that I told was when he first was like, all right, I get to do it. He said, should I change my name for this to Mickey so that people know that this is a Disney thing. And they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> you idiot. That was like, I laughed out loud when I heard that in the audiobook. It is so absurd. And I'm glad that they talked him off of it, but I get it. Wait, he
2: wanted to change his name to Mickey Mouse or Mickey Eisner. No, Mickey Eisner. Mickey
0: his first gosh. name to Mickey. And he would, only that's got be, a ring to it. I'm not going to lie. He'd only go by Mickey during the, uh, the show hey i'm mickey
1: i think that cements my pick there
0: <laughs> all right their rides are going to move right along here we are we're in the final four it's the number one parks expansion versus the number four disney stores and i think i'm going to i i i think the one seed has to go to the finals here uh, I think that Disney stores were too successful and not enough Eisner hands on it uh, to move on to the finals when the parks expansions involve so much of not only Eisner pushing things upon communities that didn't want them. Uh, there was so many gaffes involved in each park that he opened. Uh there were some successes in some of the parks that opened, or they at least created the foundation for future successes. And I think that the, that's also what Eisner has come. Like he he created these things and then Bob Iger showed up, acquired a bunch of IP, and just reskinned it and made it like slightly better across the board. And so I think that as much as like we've been very one seed heavy recently across our brackets, this one just it's it's gonna be hard to beat, but it could in the finals depending on what gets through. So I'm going to go with the Parks expansion over the Disney stores, Chris.
2: The second batter, Reed Detmer's faced since I announced the Jinx. Uh, hard hit to the right <laughs> side by Brett Phillips, and we're still waiting on a scorer's decision because we don't know if it was an error or a base hit.
0: Oh, boy, they're going to give it the E. I,
2: I think they're going to give him the E because the yep. Angels seem like that kind of scorer. Um I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I like the idea that the parks has so many of these other things incorporated into it. Um, like you said, a lot of success, a lot of failures. And I think ultimately that is what I think about when I think of Michael Eisner is a guy who messed a lot of things up, but also a guy who did a lot of things that are really great that saved the company from disaster. So, so I think I'm also sending the one seed on to the finals. Uh, Michael, any parting words for the Disney store?
1: uh growing up went to them it was uh kind of a cool thing but it was more so what i always knew but definitely agree with the number one seed moving on here and how would it be if the angels threw a no hitter on an episode where we're talking about the Michael guys oh my god (laughs)
2: I think I, I don't know. I don't I don't know that we'll still be recording by the time the game ends, but um that ball is hit deep. It's at the track. Oh that was almost gone. Um Okay, so who will face the Disney Park expansion in the finals? It is the number fifteen, I'm going to Disney World marketing campaign versus number Three, the addition of thrill rides to the parks. I mean, much like we talked about with the Disney parks expansion, there are successes and failures in the addition of thrill rides and thrilling type attractions to the Disney parks. But I think overwhelmingly it's success over failure. I think that rocket rods is really the only thing you could point to um, when you're talking about failed experiments in uh, thrill rides. I guess extraterrestrial probably would be another one, but um, it is an attraction that stuck around for a surprisingly long time. And a lot of people did get to experience Um, and was one that certainly I'm sure a lot of people remembered uh, for better or for worse when they left the Disneyland resort at the end of their vacation. Um, I'm going to Disney world. I am writing this 15 seed to the finals. I think it is such it's such a novel concept. Um, it is such a weird one. Surprisingly successful, but a total, like an awful idea at the same time. Um, so, so, I would love to see it go face the park's expansions in the end.
0: I like that the essence of I'm going to Disney World has survived all of this time, being that they offered, they, they paid the. Initial quarterback to say it, and that's just now the obligation of the Super Bowl MVP. Now it's transcended the Super Bowl, and ha- just, is just being said. Mike said that he would say it ironically if he was ever asked what he's going to do next. Like that's that's a joke. That's a that's a bit that happens quite frequently. So it's it's left the sports arena and just becomes a a thing that we all say. But it, it's it's not him. I think that he he came into these parks and he's the parks guy and he, he as much as he wanted to acquire things and get into sports like he only really dabbled in it more quintessentially is him trying to revive the parks culture and to take the instruction from his son to do so as far as the thrills go uh makes a lot of sense also what makes a ton of sense is this man had never been to a Disney park before becoming CEO. His first time at Disneyland was his first day at work. Him and Frank Wells brought their families to walk through it, not because they wanted to say hello. It's because they literally had not been
2: to a Disney park. I mean, you know, I respect that. I respect that. <laughs> I, had, I had never been to a Kansas City Royals game, except for the first day I worked for the Kansas City Royals. Were you the president of the Kansas City Royals? Was, no, but I was sending the tweets when they got the <laughs> World Series rings. Uh, it it's, it just makes so much
0: sense that he comes in. And he's like, yeah, not enough coasters in this place. I, I thought this was an amusement <laughs> park. Where's the where's the loops? Where's the I loops mean, here?
2: Uh, yeah, I, that, I think that was the point, though, right? That. That yeah. we're looking to to have someone come in and really shake things up here, and so the yeah. only way to do that is to do with someone who has no bias towards the past.
0: Sure, yeah, absolutely. And he, and in the audio book, in the it's an actual book; it's not just an audio book. But in the book, uh, he talks about how he his vision for these parks was to remove it from the museum of Walt era. Like he used that word museum where things just kind of stood still just because people felt like they needed to preserve the essence of Walt. And instead he took it and said, no, this fool was like an innovator and forever changing things. And that's what we got to do is like be with the times and be innovative and make things happen. Uh, And yes, tons of successes across the boards, but then you also have some of the gaps. And I think that's part of the Eisner experience is like, some things are going to be huge dubs, but he's also going to take some massive L's that exist to this day. Like the fact that Stitch doesn't even exist. And now it's just the show building. The fact that Rocket Rods killed whatever people mover experience we would ever have at Disneyland. And we still have the ghost of the attraction as a track going through Tomorrowland. Like what what is more Eisner than not only failing something, but then leaving the tombstone behind so that you always have to be reminded of it. I think that this is the throw rides. Number three needs to go, which means that Michael is breaking another tie. Hey, you're the resident Michael. We brought you on here to to really make
1: these decisions. I know, I know. Uh, (laughs) Okay, so can y'all tell me who was the first athlete to say I'm going to Disneyland. John Elway. Err. Uh, Payne Manning. Err. Uh, it was Magic Johnson, actually. Oh, that makes was sense. The first athlete to say, I'm going to Disneyland. Yeah, he's a East Coast, baby. You're staying in LA. <laughs> And with that being said, I'm saying thrill rides because nah, <laughs> bias, baby.
0: <laughs> Personal bias on the pod. Never fails.
1: I'm Michael being Michael here. Wow, get, you are. Get, Michael,
0: what Michael likes, Michael gets.
2: Mikey Likey. Mikey Likey. <laughs> uh all right. Hey. We got a parks versus parks finals. Um, this is this is tough this is really tough because yeah, these are really kind tough. of this is kind of like a almost the exact same topic just as, as a more specific
1: yeah. aspect of it you know both yeah. of
2: these things are tied to the disney decade and and when i think about quintessential michael eisner that's exactly what i think of disney mm-hmm. decade lots of balloons and ribbons, cuttings and ceremonies and things being opened and ideas being stolen. And, um, there's a lot of that in both of these things. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think I'm ready to make my decision, Kyle. Yep. Um, and here's the, this is kind of an interesting thing to, to base my decision on. It's McDonald's. <laughs> It's the fact that when Michael Eisner opened Disney's Animal Kingdom, there was a whole ass McDonald's Dino Land USA. Yeah. And before we had the dinosaur attraction, we had Countdown to Extinction presented by McDonald's, Mm -hmm. which may be the most ironic name for an attraction and sponsor of all time. Yep. But um, it's the fact that Eisner was simultaneously, A, growing the company to levels we had never known before, uh huh. B, taking shortcuts and yep. ultimately setting himself up for extreme failure and making these projects age very poorly, very quickly, yep. and C, channeling this inner Walt Disney character that he saw himself as. Mm-hmm. by getting other people to pay for things and taking on sponsorships to get more money. Um, and, and, and also, you know, back to the eleven seed, being the face of the company. So I think the Disney Parks expansion, the number one seed is, is the winner for me. And in, in back-to-back brackets, I have the number one winning.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. This is kind of a matchup of a component versus the entire thing. It's a square
2: uh, versus a rectangle.
0: Mm-hmm. But I, th- I think that the reason why Thrill Rides kind of gets away with it is that those were kind of implanted also just into the parks without even expanding them. Uh, you think of like a Splash Mountain, like Bear Country existed, and they just kind of popped it there. Um, yeah, I mean, your your argument is just so compelling that he his whole thing was like, And it goes back to what I thought should have won, honestly, uh, being the face of the company, uh, being that Walt Disney figure in every step so far as to even be that park guy. He he entered his he embodied his Walt Parks era mantra where Walt was like, nah, I'm kind of bored of animation. I'm going to start opening up a couple of theme parks. And. Eisner entered being like, "Eh, I actually don't care about animation. I'm just gonna stay in the theme parks, and his getting other people to pay for things also feels very indicative of like uh, that like Walt mindset, but it it what I struggle is that was I don't know that Walt was as like gimmicky as Eisner and I think that with these parks expansions there's there's not enough of that right like i mean he he goes and opens up all of these parks some of them fail fail because he's in over his head which is very michael eisner uh but i think something that's big about michael is that along with that has to come some sort of like what the heck is this man thinking right now I think that you get some of that with these thrill rides. You get the, you know, creating a, a thrill ride like Dinosaur, which is just literally called just Dinosaur. That is just a replicated uh, Indiana Jones, uh, and you're just like it's called Dinosaur. Why? Because Jurassic Park is big right now, and we're just gonna call it this Dinosaur. Uh, you get DCA with the 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 cheapest theming. Of a roller coaster that you can, which is just a pier side roller coaster, so you don't have to theme it. You get the Star Tours where you're opening it and you're the face that you want to be the hero to bring Star Wars to Disney, so you host this opening day special for an attraction and you don't even know the names of the characters. Like there's all of these gaffes, but also revival stories that come out of these throw rides. And I get that they're a component of the expansion of these parks. But for the most part, if you take out like Euro Disneyland, like all these parks still exist. A lot of the thrill rides were there and then either like rethemed, reskinned, or had to be taken out completely. And I think that's a, that temporariness of Michael where he's not thinking necessarily long term. He's thinking of quick buck at the moment feels a little bit more quintessential. So I just talked through that goddamn argument right now because I didn't know what I was going to go with. And it looks like I'm going with the number three, which means the in house Michael has to decide the winner of the Michael centric bracket. I get, oh, this was po this was made for it. This is what this is, all of your listening, Michael, for the past three years has come up to this moment. Don't blow it.
1: The Michael of the moment. <laughs> okay, so I've been taking both of these in such good arguments, both of you. The When I think of Michael Eisner, when I think of all that he's done for the Disney company, I feel like he really wanted to encapsulate the best of Walt when it came to what he did with the parks, what he, you know what he even brought to the animation because if you think about it you know walt brought on good people hmm. to make good movies you know whether it was the sherman brothers you know animators it he had he surrounded himself with good people and when you think of michael eisner you you know, you have to think kind of the same thing because it was a success that, you know, we talked about it earlier, the Disney Renaissance was, you know, such a thing. And we have so many movies that we talk about all the time. They're on almost every bracket. Yeah. So when I think about, you know, how is Eisner most like Walt? It's got to be the park expansions because just like Walt, there were highs and lows. And, you know, I think in true Michael Eisner fashion, the highs were very high and the lows were very low. They were embarrassingly low. (laughs) You know, not knowing C-3PO's name is a huge gaffe. Uh-huh. You know, Euro Disney was a wreck. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, what he did for the parks as a whole when it came to expansion is kind of what we see today. You know, it's what kind of shaped Walt Disney World, to be honest. And it's as you both in a way described, all of the thrill-seeking rides are within this park expansion, so it's almost ipso facto. You got to go with the park expansions as the most quintessential Michael Eisner move, oh, as man. endorsed by the Michael by of the, the mouse. Michael
0: <laughs> by the Mike himself. We have by Mickey D. Mickey <laughs> Mickey D. There's so many t- connections here, uh, but we've crowned it. it the most quintessential Michael Eisner move is his passion to expand the parks not only stateside but to the world and as we do at the end of every single bracket we are going to clap it out that was exactly what i love about our podcast i love digging (laughs) in deep about things that maybe people don't think a ton about and in this case. It was about a dude who existed in the company before we were born and influenced the way that we see not only the parks but the Disney company to this day. So that I had a lot of fun. That was awesome.
2: Yeah, uh always great to walk down Memory Lane and uh you know, apply some of the knowledge we learn from defunct land and marks yesterworld and reading them <laughs> disney books on your end i don't know i don't read books don't like them never never read a book personally but uh michael d thank you so much for your help your insight on this episode always great having you on the show i think i think that's number four i think you got your mouse madness jacket
1: give him the jacket Uh, oh, thank you guys for having me such a pleasure i mean what a what a fun bracket and as a michael it's just, you know, the truest pleasure. Thanks, guys.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we sign off, we have to mention that Reed Detmers is got a no hitter through eight now. Nice. So we shall see what happens. Yep. Hey, guys. This is uh, editor Chris, and just want to provide an update. Reed Detmers of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim did complete the no-hitter and the mouse madness no-hitter jinx is officially over folks that does it for another episode of mouse madness uh, you got something to say about michael eisner do you have memories of any of these eisner projects did you go to disney quest do you remember running around disney stores listening to story time do you have a bracket idea do you want to be a co-host email us at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on social media we are on instagram twitter facebook and discord all those channels are linked in the description of this podcast if you'd like to support us on patreon you can support us at the five dollar level by becoming a member of jerry's gang at patreon.com slash madness where you have access to things like voting on bracket topics Joining our seasonal Mouse Madness trivia game. It's okay. You can turn your camera off. You can be antisocial. It's all right. It's chaos. It's fun. Also, you get two bonus Mouse Madness episodes every month. Things like what we did this month, review of Doctor Strange, as well as commentary of a goofy movie. Folks, until next time, bye. Goodbye. That's it. That's all I got. I have nothing left to say about Michael Eisner.
0: And to all, a good night. Oh, hi. I'm Michael Eisner, head of Walt Disney.